0: This is Shannon in Durham,
1: Chip in Durham,
0: and Erica in Edmonton, and you're listening to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, Episode 69, Falling Toward Apotheosis. JMS and his fancy titles again. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be ashamed to admit that I had to look up apotheosis, not because I didn't know what it meant, but because I wasn't sure I knew what I meant, knew what it meant. And I was, mm-hmm. I was close-ish, sort of.
0: I, I had to look to, and I, I had no way of, I had no clue. <laughs>
1: Well, this is the first episode of B5, which I think prepares me for a game of low definition on the incomparable network, (laughs) don't you think? I
2: think you're right. Yep, filing this away in my back pocket, just in case. There we go. Uh, But yes, falling toward apotheosis,
0: uh, which is another term for divinity or godhood. And, you know, once you know that, Mm -hmm. for once, a JMS title kind of applies.
2: Yeah, of course, the 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 JMS title that actually applies is one where you have to look up the word to know that it applies. <laughs> Pretty typical, I would, I would say. It still still fits right in. Um uh, dad,
1: the showrunner's trolling me again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well put. Indeed. So, yes, as we get into uh, a little bit deeper into season 4, um uh, I, I think it's fair to say that things are still, m- by and large, going uh, plot, 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 more plot. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I think there's a couple of character moments sneaking in again. Yeah. Maybe? Yep. One or two? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Uh, do you guys have any quick opening statements before we get into our usual rhythm? I don't think so. I'm ready to roll. Same here. Okay. Then... If, for some reason, this is the first episode of Babylon 5 you have ever seen.
1: Ho 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 sorry.
0: <laughs> what you need to know The sector is engulfed in an interstellar war, and at the moment the extremely powerful Vorlons are destroying entire planets full of civilians if there is any sign that the also powerful shadows had influence there. One probable target is Centauri Prime, where Londo Malari is trying everything he can to control the impulses of an insane Emperor Cartaja. And in this episode, after learning that Cartagia has no intentions of defending Centauri Prime from the Vorlons or ordering the Shadows to leave, Londo hits upon the idea of holding Jakar's trial on Narn. Garibaldi is allowed to return to work, just in time for Sheridan to inform him that the forlorn ambassador needs escorting off the station. When the first attempt fails, Leda lures the ambassador to a trap and the station's forces try to take him out. It takes the last remnants of Kosh leaving Sheridan to drive off and kill his fellow ambassador. In the aftermath, Sheridan and Lorien tell Delenn that Sheridan died on Zahadum, but that Lorien was able to restore him for a time, which turns out to be 20 years. Sheridan's next action is to propose to Delenn so he can spend as much of his remaining time as possible with her. And that is falling toward apotheosis. Um... So, uh, as as I said a minute ago, I, I feel like we're, we're finally getting some of our character interaction back. Uh, we still have um, lots of things to cover, lots of things going forward, but we're actually getting, like, you know, comments, you know, Sheridan observing that Ivanova's actually afraid, and he's never known Ivanova to be afraid. Um, getting um, a bit of Doctor Franklin's bedside manner again, uh, as he goes goes over Garibaldi mm-hmm. um, one more time before he gets back. We have that marvelous conversation between uh, Garibaldi and Zach Allen. Uh, we get uh, the interactions of Sheridan and Delenn. It's like we we finally, even though there's so much going on, we, we have a few minutes for for people to actually talk to each other and 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 interact again.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought. While there's still a lot of things happening, I felt like the pace of this episode was not quite so frenetic. It it had more time to breathe. We had more, you know, character interactions with, with two people in in the scene and, and talking to each other. You know, it was, this was, I mean, uh, Delenn and Sheridan actually make mention of the fact that it's the first time that they get to be together alone since all of this happened, which kind of then made that, that sort of, to me, reflected on Sheridan interaction with Garibaldi Uh, Garibaldi who is uh, seeming to be a little bit iffy certainly about Lorien and and he did not seem at all happy with uh, not being told everything by Sheridan and you know, he's 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 saying, you know, why is has Sheridan not even not even spoken to me since I got back. Um, and I realized it's, you know, he Sheridan's barely had a chance to speak to anybody. He hasn't had any time alone with his beloved Dylan. So it really doesn't surprise me that he hasn't had time to have a little sit down heart to heart with Michael Garibaldi. I feel like maybe yeah. <laughs> Garibaldi's being a little thin skinned about that.
1: Yeah, you think. Um, and the. The, my favorite character moment in this entire thing is between Garibaldi and Zach when they're just having that conversation mm-hmm. before, be- before the reveal in the war room about why, uh, Sheridan's been freezing Garibaldi out. Um, Zach is such a grown up in this scene. It's like he's risen to Garibaldi's level almost. Uh, complete with that perfect. Are you, are you finished? <laughs> uh at that at, at that ra- at, at that rant we're yep. um throughout throughout this episode um you know zach doesn't have a whole lot to do in the episode but he's he's really standing up he is he's being straight up with the chief um he's being a man of action after Garibaldi storms off in the warm room he's he's saying he's just sort of taking it in stride and saying he's had a lot on his mind uh he'll he'll come around but he's saying that. As he's heading out, walking Mm -hmm. up, you know, it's 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 the character moments in in this episode don't all land super well. um, But I find that to be more a question of which lines hit or not. I feel like David Eagles directed this one. And again, it's a it's another episode that seems to go well by the actors, if not by the blocking and tackling. Um, mm-hmm. And that, but it also means that there's not a whole lot of lee- leeway when when Sheridan says the image of your sweet face to mm. deliver. Those are those. Are, that's a sequence of words that does not ever happen in human conversation. There are other lines between them that hit much better, but. No director can save that. No acting performance can save that. No.
2: You know, if they'd have just taken the yeah. word "sweet" out of there, I could have been yes. okay with it. Wouldn't have loved it yeah. still, but ugh.
0: Yeah, that. Yeah, that. I had. I made a note of that one too. That was <laughs> cringeworthy.
1: I agree with your point, Shannon. That uh, you know the character moments are coming back, uh, but this storyline is moving so fast and uh, so sequential. It almost felt to me like JMS was sort of finding his feet again to get those character moments in and some of them didn't quite work another one that didn't work for me was that sheridan had to tell dylan and the viewer that ivanova was afraid that the Mm -hmm. the episode is moving so fast that sheridan has to tell us claudia christian doesn't really have a whole lot of room to show us Mm-hmm. um you know so it's, it's stuff like that yes yes and yay, more character but um it's not quite up to the best of season 3
2: you know i was okay with the ivanova being afraid thing because i thought it was very clear that she was afraid that didn't that didn't surprise me i i thought that that his line was more just giving us you know the history of this character and actually i i guess the line itself on that level, worked for me. What didn't work was the idea that he'd never actually seen her afraid before. That I just I find that almost impossible <laughs> to believe. Yeah. That if they had served for that long together, and they've you know, the, the Battle on Five itself has been through some pretty awful stuff. Uh, if this is the first time that she's afraid, I don't know. That just that he idea hasn't- didn't sit.
1: He hasn't seen it, but we the audience sure as heck have in that first season yeah. uh fight that she had with the Raiders and when the there's a there's a big wing of them coming right at her and she just wide-eyed open mouth has to turn and run. Mm-hmm. We've seen her afraid, mm-hmm. darn it.
0: Yeah, um I'm trying to remember. I think Yeah, I I think it it felt like the line was there to try and and sell and emphasize um what we weren't able to get because, you know, all all Ivanova's doing is, you know, updating us of, um, you know, what's going on, which places have been hit, which places are still um, safe to go to. But I, I got worry from her. Um, I got stress. I'm not I'm not sure I got fear from what she was doing, What from what Claudia Christian was doing. So. I think I lean slightly more towards Chip on the on uh Chip's opinion on this one. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. But yeah, it's at least it, it we're moving in the right direction here. Uh um, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. getting getting a getting a bit better balance uh from more like what we've been accustomed to in the past uh, in the past 3 years. We've just been on yes. such a such a such I don't want to say plot treadmill because <laughs> these episodes have been moving and this is the stuff that this is the part of the show which reminds me of reading Lord of the Rings, and I like reading Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. mind you, <laughs> um, but that's the kind of storytelling that is and this and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened, and then this happened, and then wow, <laughs> <Yes>. yeah <laughs> yeah um uh,
0: that that is a point um i'm and I think one of the things that felt a bit off in this episode to me was. Uh, the fact that we we were getting more character interaction. I liked that we were getting both character interactions that were positive. Um you know, I consider the Garibaldi and Zach conversation a positive. You know, Zach is able to sort of soothe Garibaldi a bit, try to point him in the right direction. Um the Sheridan and Deleyn conversation is ultimately very positive. He winds up proposing to her, which, you know, yay, shipper, yay, squee. Um Woo. But um um, But a lot of the character interaction is also conflict, and it's conflict that we haven't seen between certain characters. It's been a long time since we've seen Garibaldi and Sheridan at really opposite ends of an issue. I think mm-hmm. uh, we have to go all the way back to Morden and uh, in the shadow of Zahadum mm-hmm. for yeah. them to be truly, truly at odds with one another. Um, so, you know, and that even though the interaction itself is conflicting and ca- and stress causing because we want them all to work together and you know solve this problem there's a war going on guys don't don't fight amongst yourselves um i still think ultimately you know that kind of character interaction is very rich and very helpful but then we get Centauri Prime mm. and that to me overall feels like we're back on the uh Move the chess pieces this way, that way, show this, show that, because we have to set up um, what the next thing that londo's going to do. I feel like the Centauri stuff eventually shows sort of Londo at his canniest and most political that we've seen him in a long time, but it's not interaction. I mean, he, no. he's flinging himself against a Cartagena and just bouncing because it's Cartagena. He makes no impression,
1: <laughs> and he said, "As most Cartagia in this episode, he's he, he's, he's the Cartagiest."
2: <laughs> you know he is, but but if you were to say just the most Cartagiist, which I love, uh, that would make me think, you know, like the most over the top and ridiculous and in your face. And I don't think that was it. I think that this is it's the sweet spot for Cartagia as far as the Cartagiist, because he is being. Very, very that, very what he is, very crazy and and just, you know, the emperor who's going to become a god. And yet, it, to me, it is the smoothest portrayal that we have had so far. I don't know if that's because Wortham Krimmer has had time to sort of settle into this character or just because mm-hmm. I, as an audience member, have, have gotten sort of more used to it or if it's just because i really enjoy the way P- peter jurissic does londo and sort of you know is is interacting even though it's not much of an interaction like you said shannon is is acting against him so obsequiously and and you know we know that it's fake but it doesn't matter to to, to because he just wants that adulation and adoration and that is exactly what he's getting and and yeah I just, I really quite love quite love those scenes even if it's not you know great character moments it's it's great moments with these characters
1: it's a great mm-hmm. acting performance mm-hmm. um, my favorite bit of that whole thing is when Carta when Londo sets up for his proposal to uh, have the trial on Narn cartagia cuts him off and is fully expecting lando to suggest that lando wants to get away um and and uh uh run from a safe distance and not give himself not give up his life for the emperor and it's moments like that that let you know that cartagia is not exactly a fool here he's a mm-hmm. he's a madman but he actually respects that Londo is pretty canny, and Londo will say things that are slight digs that he can't actually nail londo for mhm and there's and so there's there's sort of a respect, but there's also a sense that uh londo's you know he 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 was expect- he he was expecting londo to make a dodge there and i mm-hmm. i like that little bit of it um worthhamcr Wortham Wortham Krimmer's performance is great, uh, but I do, like Shannon said, you know, the treadmill's going, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's really leaning into this godhood and, uh, Centauri Prime as a pyre kind of thing really, really fast. We've only Mm -hmm. known him for four episodes. Mm -hmm. That's true.
2: It seems like longer. (laughs) It does.
0: (laughs) It really does. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to sort of parse together. Uh, I think what impresses me most about uh, a lot of the Centauri Prime half of the plot um, is this feels like the Londo that we sort of assumed was there, but never really got to see. Because by the time we were introduced to the character, he is supposedly past his prime and put out to pasture on Babylon 5. Um, you know, we we rarely get to see... The skills that put him um into the into the center of uh the intrigue on Centauri prime, and here we we get to see you know just how he is able to you know it, it may be you know skills may be born of desperation, but it feels like you know it's been there all along, but we haven't had the chance to see Londo play the game so
2: well for such high stakes hmm. So yeah, and I appreciate I, I do take what what both of you guys said about uh, Cartagena and Londo. Um, I think that's correct. I think, yeah, Cartagena is he's crazy, but he's he's canny because you can tell that he he can he can see that Londo is not 100% buying what he's what he's selling i think he can sort of recognize in the the centauri people who are around him who are complete sycophants and who are just doing what he says because he says it and the people like londo who still are are thinking clearly and have a mind of their own and are canny in their own ways and and that's going to be the kind of which people- is why
1: he got which is why he got called home in the first place.
2: Exactly. And mm-hmm. and I think that that's, that shows how he is still a canny leader because those are the kind of people that A he wants to keep close to him because, you know, they're the kind that might have their own mind and might want to branch out on their own, but they're also the kind who are the smartest and the most politically savvy who are going to be the best tools to use if he decides that he wants to, you know, do anything regarding the Narn, regarding the, the rest of the the world, the, the shadows and that kind of stuff and I think his reaction to Londo here shows that he recognizes that Londo is is smart, and I think that his ego is getting in the way enough to make him think that, yeah, Londo is smart. He's so smart that he has now finally come around to recognizing that this is the way it's going to be. I am going to become a god, because clearly, I'm going to become a god. And it's it's nice that Londo has recognized that now, and look at this great idea he's come up with, because he is a smart guy. Yay me for bringing him here from Babylon 5. I deserve to be a god, because I was smart enough to put this all into play. Like All of that stuff sort of works out Behind the eyes of the characters, and and uh, I like that. Speaking of eyes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: we, we we get a a quick quick glance at, at, at Jakar, so who to speak, <laughs> looking <laughs> looking the worse for wear,
1: and so to speak,
0: <laughs> dear,
1: <laughs> I'll be good.
0: <laughs> um, but yes, we we get um a a a piece of the puzzle falls into place we we have seen londo's uh flash forwards or his uh prophetic um flashes where jakar had uh you know that something tied over one eye like an eye patch and mm-hmm. well guess what this is how it <laughs> happened
2: you know i have to say i'm super proud of steven and i hope that doesn't sound condescending but uh a- after that happened uh after the episode was over he turned and he's like we saw Jakar with an eye patch in those those future mm-hmm. scenes, didn't we? And I was like, "Yes, we did." <laughs> so so, <laughs> so gosh darn proud. I was like, "Yeah, we did." I'm really I'm, I'm I'm impressed that you remember that. And he was he felt good about himself too. So I was like, "Yeah, it's coming together. Stuff's stuff's happening. Continuity, as you said, way way
0: back in episode zero. Yep. this show rewards continuity. Mm-hmm. It rewards people who pay attention to continuity." So, and yes. it even throws them Yay, a Stephen. big
1: it it even throws us a big wet kiss by not not only just going pluck out his eye but that, which one and then any mo eeny, meeny, miney, and, uh, no let's not do that <laughs> and, which and he goes which eye and Cartagia goes back and forth back and forth and picks the one that we know he's going to pluck out anyway but that's <laughs> just like it's just like Extra okay. angst bonus for the careful viewer. <laughs> yep,
0: <laughs> indeed. Um, so we have. Uh, uh, so we've talked a bit about our character development. We've talked about Centauri Prime, and and now we've got sort of like the thrust of this episode. I think if there, if we are still calling things a plot and b plot, I, I think our our a plot is uh, how,
2: how do you take out a Vorlon? Whew. Yeah, how do you manage that? I know. <laughs> and what a what a question to be asking because I mean, if it had been, you know, first or second or even third season, that wouldn't even be a question that you would ask. The fact that that's even a question is kind of a real mind trip, really.
1: And it's not even a question. It's yeah. a statement. Mhm. Yeah. We're 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 getting rid of the Vorlon ambassador. We're taking him out. We're, yeah. You
0: know. We're asking him to leave nicely first, but yeah, that's true. Yeah, have that's,
1: we have but, a backup plan. Sheridan has no illusions about mm-hmm. what this is going to take. Um, and he's 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 tough. He's dangerous. He it, this is he has basically announced that he that it is time to put a hit out on the Vorlon ambassador. Yeah. Wow.
2: Wow, I mean, both of those words too. Vorlon ambassador, like ambassador, is big enough. Like you're gonna you're gonna kill an ambassador, and then you know the, the Vorlon just ramps it up by about a hundred percent because, uh, yeah, that's a Vorlon. Mm-hmm. How how do you plan to manage that? Well, yeah. you can't do it without another Vorlon. Apparently, we think.
1: Yeah, and, uh. and Garibaldi and Garibaldi is predictably uh, overjoyed about this assignment.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, the like, like you said, this this changes completely. The the Vorlons have been, you know, the father figures, the 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 ones on our side that we thought would have our backs if um if we needed them. And, you know, yeah, they've started going kind of nuts with this, you know, ethnic cleansing strategy of theirs. But yeah, um this this totally changes the nature of the game uh forever. Uh, mm-hmm. that, uh, that Sheridan is, sees that it has to be done, is willing to do it. He is willing to give, um, uh, Newcosh one chance, you know, mm-hmm. have Garibaldi offer to escort him off the station, uh, time to go. And, and the Vorlon says no. And Sheridan enacts his backup plan. Yep. So, yes.
2: yes. Which and then, in, involves, and then Stephen, uh, <laughs> raises both hands in the air. <laughs> no, no, no wrong, wrong That was no. It was a double thumbs up. That's what it was this time. Usually, it's both hands in the air. This time, it was a double thumbs up. Okay.
1: So, so how did you? How did you all feel about the execution of the execution, as it were? Because I have thoughts.
2: Well, I, I thought it worked better well. than Stephen did. Stephen just he thought that Lita's performance, and I don't think he, I don't think he meant Patricia Tallman's performance so much as he actually meant Lita's performance um was just so blatantly faked. You know that that Lita is clearly not supposed to be a good actor, and she's not. Uh, so Stephen kind of thought that that this new Kosh. Had to be kind of a doofus not to see through uh, see through her her poor acting and and you know the stuff she was saying. Whereas to me, I I kind of bought it just because I mean Vorlon's in general think they are the the you know what they're the stuff and. And I, I just, the idea that any kind of human or even altered human could pull one over on them, I think would be something that might have occurred to original Kosh who who I think clearly paid more attention to humans. But this guy, mm-hmm. this new ambassador really just sees Vorlons as so superior. Humans are, are just ants to him. You know, respect is, is is not something that even comes into it. So it didn't surprise me. Like he's getting information from from her, but it, he doesn't care about anything else coming from Lita. It's just the information. So he's going to follow her until he notices that her thoughts are a little bit off. But the reason her thoughts are a little bit off is because they're supposed to be at that point when when he reaches that spot in the cargo bay or wherever they are Mm -hmm. like that's the time he's supposed to start figuring it out on his own and so I feel like yeah her acting her you know Lita's acting is is pretty crap but that doesn't matter and I think Lita knows this this Vorlon well enough to know that that doesn't matter it's the acting with her telepathic abilities in her mind that matters and she is now apparently strong enough to fake out Mm -hmm. a Vorlon until the point where she doesn't want to fake him out anymore and and let go a little bit at a time enough to make him suspicious at just the right moment. So uh, I feel like not only was that kind of interesting, I feel like we learned something about both characters. Yes, this Kosh is a giant Vorlon egomaniac. And yes, Lita is even stronger than we thought.
0: Yeah, I also think um, another point in um, Nukash's willingness to to follow Lita, even if he thought for a minute that there was something weird, um, is the fact that the idea that a piece of Kosh could be trapped inside some puny, minuscule (laughs) member of another race, you know, that's going to that that's got him mad. That, that's got him seriously offended and mad that this could be happening. And, you know, he of course, he's going to follow Lita and see what information that they can find. Um, to go back to your question, Chip, about execution. Um, the, the one thing that had me sort of wincing or gritting my teeth the most, um, I felt like it was the tale of two sets of special effects, <laughs> because I thought that the uh portraying the Vorlons out of the encounter suits, especially when, when, first when New Kosh comes out, and then when Kosh leaps out of Sheridan and you've got these two figures battling it out. I thought that was well done. But when they were running the electricity through the encounter suit to try and drive him out of it, it's like, damn it, the suit should move. It's just a bunch of lightning streaks across the This cell come on, you know he should be moving, he should be you know jerking something and <laughs> and the fact that the suit was just sitting there, you know and they kept flashing back to it just that was making me grit my teeth.
1: I was kind of enjoying that part of it, oh um, really, just yeah that 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 kind of worked for me in the sense that you know he's going to blow at any minute, and it <laughs> and it actually ratcheted up the suspense for me that it was stock still inside the thing. Uh so that was one of the pieces of it that actually worked for me. Uh what didn't work for me so much is not is not necessarily uh David Eagles' fault. Um we have a cardboard box full of VHS tapes of direct from air Babylon five episodes, uh which I had just put away carefully a week ago. <laughs> If I hadn't if I hadn't done that if I weren't afraid of everything falling on top of me like in a cartoon <laughs> somewhere I would go back there and look because if there is a shot with vis- with the video effects in it in um Babylon 5 on the DVDs mm-hmm. that shot is cropped from the original 4x3 it's cropped on the top and bottom and then blown up to fill the screen so you miss the ring of the, the the sort of the ring of electro thingies or whatever you want to call them that is surrounding uh, Kosh in a lot of these shots. You don't completely see clearly that sort of red, that funny red square kind of thing that he winds up standing on right in, right at ground zero, you know. The layout is kind of... Um, the cut layout is kind of messed up. And because there are so many PPGs and lightning bolts and uh, swoopy Vorlon thingies swishing around on there, we <laughs> lose a lot of the shots in this sequence. And mm. that just makes me really, really regret how cheap Warner Brothers is mm. because I'd love to see this stuff recomposited.
2: Wow, you know, not remembering how I saw it the first time, I I didn't notice all those things, but I can I can see how it would have been better, including all of that stuff. So mm-hmm. I will I will be yeah. sad right alongside you.
1: Um, but it is kind of it is uh, otherwise I think it's kind of neat, and I I I, I I'm not so thrilled with the Dolin bringing uh, pulling the uh. Soldier out of the way and thus becoming a damsel in distress figure. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I do love the big damn hero moment that Sheridan has when uh, Newkosh zaps him and he stands upright. And then he turns and you're wondering, how the hell can he do this? And then... Kosh emerges and uh, things like that. That's a dramatic moment, and it really, mm-hmm. really works for me. Mm-hmm.
0: It works for me too because it did not occur to me to think of delin as a damsel in distress because that's something of a mirror to the time that she jumped in front to take a knife in the back for him. So good point.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: yin yang. Uh, yeah,
2: you know, well, and I mean, around, she is, around. and she is, you know, putting herself in danger to do something that's pretty heroic in the first place. So it's not like she was just standing there mm-hmm. hiding behind something and then becomes damseled. She's she's trying her best to, to do what she is, is capable of in, in this scene.
1: Damseled. That's a new verb. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> you can verb anything. Yep. I'm pretty sure I'm not the first okay. to do that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, another thing I, I mentioned a minute ago, I also like the touch of... Um, Ha- having the vorlons apparently appear as their real selves and mm-hmm. and you know you don't have two angelic figures clashing they're not trying to portray um whatever the whatever they were trying to represent um as, you know, they sort of put themselves into the minds of all of these races over the centuries. Um, I, I really liked that aspect of it as well, to um, keep these warlons, even though they've been walking toilet bowl covers <laughs> all this time, JMS is still managing to create, you know, a, a mythos around their race and advancement and um, situational awareness, so... Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, it
2: does kind of play into the, I mean, not exactly what the, the shadows, um, representatives were telling, were telling Sheridan, but, you know, the, the idea that the Vorlons were sort of meddling in the history of human development, the idea that, that they have some sort of telepathic powers that make every single different race see them as a, an angelic sort of, you know, prophet type figure. And, you know, up until this point, I just assumed that that was exactly what they looked like, looked like, and the reason that it looked different to every single race was just some sort of, you know, effect of their existence. Whereas, nope, at this point, we find out that they do have an actual form, and this is what that form looks like. You know, they're weird, like, glowy, sort of, you know, swoopy tentacle creatures. And the... They're squid. Yeah, the angelic. With
1: glowing evil red eyes in uh, Nukosh's That's uh, true. place. That's true.
2: Disturbing, mm-hmm. but yeah. So the the angelic angelic thing was simply a mask that they put on to, I guess, influence the younger races that they were trying to shepherd in the way that they saw fit.
1: Hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Indeed. Um. So, uh, we've mentioned here and there uh, uh bits and pieces about uh David Eagles directing. Anything else or anything more general that you guys had to say?
2: There was one retrograde zoom on on Nukash, you know, just before he was, he was he was getting zapped. So where you get the, you know, the camera zooming in and the, the dolly moving back, uh, which is nice. And actually, it reminded me that was that's sort of a uh, a David J. Eagle touch, because I remember back in the Rock Cried Out in a Hylian place. Uh, that was another one that he directed where there were quite a few zooms. And I remember by the end of the episode, Stephen just saying, David Eagle zooms. David Eagle zoomed, (laughs) So so here we have him again. Okay.
1: Oh, um, David Eagle also has a problem with uh, mob scenes. Uh, Mm. There were some limitations in what he pulled off with the Narns uh, beating the hell out of Lord Rifa. And... uh, this was the least convincing uh trampling situation <laughs> that i've seen uh, at the beginning of the episode um yeah that was that was that was a little painful um she she didn't look like she needed rescuing but yeah. mm-hmm. uh, but there but there he is doing that but uh it was it was still it was still competent it was still comp- a competently uh directed episode
0: okay mm-hmm. um Let's see. Uh, you've mentioned a couple of Steven's reactions. Uh, anything else? We, we had Space Mob back to <laughs> sort of like go, uh, uh, everything's fine. Uh, re- really? Everything's fine.
2: Yeah, actually, Steven sort of swore at his uh, name in the credits. And I was like, what? Because <laughs> when the opening credits are on, I'm paying attention to whatever the action is going on in behind. And I don't even see the right. words on the screen, whereas Steven's kind of the opposite. So he started swearing. And I don't remember what was happening on the screen, but it was very just sort of, you know, run of the mill blase stuff. And I was like what's what's the problem?" He's like, "Oh, morden or space mom's back and it was like, Oh, okay, <laughs> so yeah, yep, he noticed that um yeah at the at the end, I actually just you know asked him. And and he he sort of said the same thing about this whole story when uh, as he did at the end of the last one, just about how it's getting harder to judge them episode by episode because of the fact that yeah. it's it's you know the the plot is moving. We are full on into serialized drama here. So this time I pushed a little bit harder and I said, well, yeah, but you can still comment on the things that happened in this episode. So he he stopped and he thought about it a little bit and he said. Um, that he feels bad for poor Jakar. He doesn't like what they're doing to him. I was like, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said it was a good episode, and and, and it, it still just, it, it isn't feeling like individual episodes. Um, as far as the, uh, the Kosh thing, he said, fudge. He didn't say fudge. Uh, he said, fudge. They just turned the fudge on Kosh, didn't they? And then, again, he didn't say fudge. Um, but then he says, <laughs> he followed it up with, now, I wonder what happens to poor old Lita. She was given a role, but it was mostly his cautious servant. So I think he is worried that the poor telepath is going to disappear into the wings once again, which just made me laugh. But he did say, I guess that means she doesn't have to appear with those freaky gills anymore because those gills are freaky. <laughs> um, he's not a fan of the, the freaky kills. Um He likes Sheridan's haircut, and I have to second that. It's very nice. Um, I think you mentioned that in the last episode, uh, Chip, that Lorian somehow uh, managed to to have that happen somewhere between Zahad. Get him to a barber. Babylon Five.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think that I think that that uh, had to do with the uh, sort of you know, a- 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 as his life is no longer extended, neither is his hair. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, I love it. My head headcanon was something more like uh, in the movie The Matrix, when when the, the real life people go into The Matrix, they appear as their quote unquote residual self image. So I mm-hmm. feel like when uh, Sheridan was brought back from, from dead, his residual self image is him with shorter hair. So that's that's my headcanon there um <laughs> okay steven is convinced that something ain't right with garibaldi but he did not uh he didn't elaborate um he was a little bit uh he seemed a little judgy at the fact that ivanova is a news reader at this point because i think he he has felt like she hasn't done all that much lately and he 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 likes ivanova so he wants her to be doing more um he okay. steven doesn't uh he doesn't know what's going on with lorian um he's like clearly garibaldi doesn't trust him but then again what's up with garibaldi and who is that psycor guy uh and then he's like well i think we all know who that psycor guy is so steven Stephen has some ideas there that's for sure um and and then he he went on to actually think about uh original kosh and he was just like that first first kosh was was friendlier now was he an outlier of his species so i just thought (laughs) thought it was interesting that that Stephen is you know sort of Maybe not being kind to original Kosh, but uh, but but thinking about him in in less negative. But we terms.
0: have we have more data. Yes, we have more data to measure. We by. definitely <laughs> do.
2: So so yeah, it was a, overall uh, quite a positive from Stephen, and and I like the fact that he is thinking so much about these characters and and what they're doing and where mm-hmm. they're going and all that kind of stuff. It makes me happy that he has bought into the show as heavily as he has because there was never any guarantee that was going to happen.
1: It would have been mm-hmm. a long five years if he didn't. It sure
2: oh, would have yeah. been. And that's, that's what I was afraid of. So thank heavens.
1: <laughs> uh, I've got one question before uh, Shannon takes us to spoiler space. We've sort of uh, left a big um, item from the episode kind of on the table and not done anything with it. And that's the 20-year timeline. Yeah.
2: I just yeah. don't want to think about it. Oh, I just, I feel so, so much for, for Dylan. I mean... On the one hand, you know, there's, there's the, the really cruel, heartless part of me that's saying, yeah, but you just thought he was going to be dead. Like you got him back 20 years. That, that should be a bonus. But, but I, we all know that's not how like an actual person's heart generally works. Like the idea that mm-hmm. your time with this person is limited. I mean, plus the, the emotional roller coaster factor of thinking he's dead and then getting him back and being lifted back up on the crest of that wave and then to learn that you know his his death is assured in a, a finite amount of time which is not what she was expecting it's just yeah the the emotional roller coaster and perhaps the fact that you know she's only been human for a couple of years now or part human for a couple of years now the the hormones and the emotions that go along with that that are very different from from what it would be in a mimbari are probably still not completely natural to her so yeah i just my heart goes out to you dylan.
0: Yeah. Um I also think there's an extra uh data point in um in the Lurker's guide uh JMS answered somebody's question that the average lifespan of a Mimbari is actually 140 years. Mm-hmm. Um and we can assume that, you know, they've that technology being and health advances being what they are, um that you know, humans probably still have maybe 100 years. In this in this universe, I would I would think would be a fair I guess. I think she said so, She said
2: even more than that. Like she says to to Sheridan, you know, le- I, like at least mm-hmm. pretty much, yeah, hundred to one hundred and thirty yeah. years
0: or something. So, so you know, my my thinking in part is um, the fact that you know they maybe she's already had to consider the fact that he was almost certainly going to have a shorter lifespan than she was, mm-hmm. even taking into you know if she has taken into account uh, what. Turning into a half human and half Minbari may have done to her oh, lifespan, we don't know. Um, but she's still, I think, a, a great deal of Delenn still thinks Minbari first. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's hard to overcome. You know, a, a lifetime of being one one thing. Um, so I think that that's part of what informs her feelings that that not only has she already had to adjust to the idea that she wasn't going to have him for her entire life necessarily barring any you know accidents or you know sudden illnesses or whatever, but then to find that it's such a short feeling amount of time mm-hmm. given that her, her her life her expected lifespan was longer anyway. I think that's part of what informs um her reaction along with the idea that, you know, hey, there's a you know very specific amount of time. What got me this time around was hearing Sheridan say, you know, I'll be in my early 60s. That's a pretty good run. And I'm just just like that's not that doesn't feel like a pretty good run. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. We have, you know, people that, you know, routinely live into their 90s now. That doesn't yeah. that doesn't feel like like you've w- won anything. Well,
1: the first time I watched this show, it felt like a good, better run than it does now, <laughs> to be You're perfectly here. honest. Point. Um. Point. Yep. <laughs> but but he takes it in stride, you know. He he yeah. does takes it take it in stride. He um, it it it, it's kind of surprising to me to suddenly realize that Sheridan on screen is roughly my age.
2: Yeah, that just mm-hmm. hit me as we were sitting here, and I was kind of doing the math and being like, oh, how long yeah. is it going to be till I'm in my sixties? Oh,
1: yeah. holy and, cats! Uh, in, in in a in a in a very small dude bro ish kind of way, it is actually kind of admirable and reassuring to see a character going, It's a good run. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with this, you know. Um it's mm-hmm. it's it is a further uh notch in the big damn hero belt <laughs> yeah. to be able to look at your impending mortality and accept it. Which is well, which is which is a perhaps a more practical version of what he went through in the pit with Lorien. Yeah. yeah,
0: I mean, there's there's the fact that you know he he has been through and thought for sure he was going to die, and oh, oh you've got twenty more years to go on his yeah from his perspective. <laughs> I'm sure he feels like he's um, that he's come out on top in, in compared to what the alternative that he was fa- facing uh that it was in right of fr- the alternative that was right in front of his face mm-hmm. uh would would be comparatively okay um well then uh it is time for uh the folks that are watching this for the first time to step away and uh go um uh, watch the next episode which is the long night um and in a few minutes we will be going through a jump gate with the folks who have been here before and know what's coming Um, As always, uh, people are welcome to join us at uh, our website, b5audioguide.com, where we have various chat threads, uh, both for spoilers-aware people and uh, spoiler-avoiding people. Uh, We also are on Twitter and Tumblr at b5audioguide and welcome people to follow us and uh, offer input and just chat. And now we will take a step through a jump gate, and we're back. And uh, not sure I did not have a huge amount of thoughts as far as forward looking um, this time around again. As you know, we've seen it's you know plot plot plot. There's. There's not much setting up of future stuff, uh, I don't think, right at this time. Yeah, I feel like uh, the,
2: the last few episodes that we have had, you know, now that, as Stephen said, we're full on into serialized drama. And as Chip has said in the past, you know, it's like the bullet train. Um, most of the stuff that is has been happening the last couple episodes is the stuff that's still happening. So I feel like the spoiler space moments for the last few episodes, we're all talking about the stuff that we saw this time and the stuff that we're going to see next time. Like, we haven't moved into any... <laughs> Any new territory yet to talk about any kind of farther down the road things? At least, not that I noticed.
1: Well, we did. Uh, get, I think that uh, was... we did get an important hint. Um, I
0: think I think you are going to say what I was going to say, but then I am going
1: to let you say it because it's in your notes.
0: <laughs> uh, the fact that well, what struck me was the fact that Garibaldi actually asked, you know, what what not exactly what next, but. You know things are so messed up. He he's finally for the first time he mentions. You know we've get, there's no support back home. You know we we we've broken away from Earth and it's been you know a long time, um, story wise since that happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know we saw some of the after effects at first. That's pretty much fallen by the wayside. Babylon Five is established. It's independent. Um, it's doing what it needs to do to survive the bigger threat that they have right now, which is the Vorlons and the Shadows apparently fighting each other and not caring who goes splat in the middle. Um, so um, so that was one thing that leaped out at me. Was that what you were talking about?
1: Absolutely. Um, yeah. And it wasn't JMS's original plan. Uh, We talked about it a while back that if you go to uh, the B5 script books and the uh, bonus information about his very, very original uh, plot outline, you know, B5 was going to end at series five with the destruction of Babylon five. And then they were going to move on to yet another series called Babylon prime to deal with the end of the shadow war and stuff like that. And that's, that's, that's not where he's going. Um, The shadow war is about to end right now and the rest of babylon 5 Two episodes. Yeah. yeah and then the rest of babylon 5 is going to be about what comes next mm-hmm. the 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 line is going to be quoted uh coming up you know the duration's a lot longer than the war the this is this is a well-timed hint from garibaldi to the audience that the rest of the show is there's still going to be stuff that's got to be done after the shadow war and mm-hmm. it's actually JMS – JMS actually seems more interested in the stuff that happens after the war is over, the empire-building stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. I There may be questions about which parts of that he executes uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but, yeah, I think that that's actually a very important aside, and I'm glad that he found the time for that because, you know, the, he – he He hadn't made a whole lot of time for character stuff or highlight stuff down the road uh, in the previous season four episodes.
2: That's true. Mm-hmm. and I think I think that was that was good because in the moment, I noticed it both from a I know what's coming later, so I know what comes next standpoint, but also from the standpoint of, you know, somebody who might be watching it for the first time being like, yeah, that's right. You know, so like what what does happen if they if they happen to get out of this alive, like they're still sort of on their own in a way. Interesting. And yet it was such a quick brief little moment and then we got back on with the the bigger larger immediate things that it wasn't a it wasn't an obvious bit of foreshadowing so like it's there but I think it's subtle enough that it doesn't hit you over the head with it and it's the kind of thing Mm -hmm. that going back and watching it for a second or third or fourth time you notice and go ah yeah I got it but it doesn't stand out like a like a sore thumb and and you know wave its hands in your face if you're watching for the first time it was it was well balanced I think yeah
0: yeah, very well balanced. It felt very much like the kind of thing Garibaldi would be thinking about, mm-hmm. uh wondering about and and would vocalize. Yeah. yeah. Um let's see. Um the other thing that leaped out at me, um that um JMS even was kind enough to say fairly clearly um at the time on CompuServe, um when someone asks you know why didn't Londo try to save jakar's eye um why would Londo do that? You know could he possibly change things did it Did it occur to him um j m s s reply to that question would have been nice if Londo had at least tried to do something about the eye that did not see Carsha's splendor
2: uh-huh.
0: hint, 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 So we have just seen Londo apparently lose another of his chances at um avoiding
2: uh is it his terrible fate mm-hmm. interesting so. although i have to say that like now london wasn't londo gone by the time that he says pluck out his eye right like Londo's. Um, yeah,
1: but Londo sort of opted out of the whole conversation. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
2: But the but the, the, the question, why didn't Londo try to save Jakar's eye, that, that question itself doesn't make any sense because Londo has no idea that the eye is, you know, he knows eventually Jakar loses an eye because he's he's seen the future like we have, but he doesn't have any reason to think that that's necessarily going to happen here. Why yeah. would he be thinking about that moment at this time? So I, I just think that the at least the way that that question is phrased is, is very silly given the, you know, what we see on screen and where the characters Now, you know, you could ask, uh, why doesn't Londo try to come up with something that would not be super terrible? Um, I I think that honestly, I have to say that I think that that was uh, a wise move on Londo's part because he knows that nothing Carthage is going to do is going to actually kill Jakar because they need him alive for the, the trial and for the, the glory of Emperor Carthage. So he's, he's fairly confident that, that Jakar is going to be left alive. And if he tries to come up with something that is not terrible... Then there's a very good chance Cartage is going to go much farther and do something that's a lot worse. Mm-hmm. And if he comes up with something that's pretty bad, um, you know, that's that's going to not feel good to him because he, you know, he's got he's getting a bit of a conscience, and he knows that this is a tool that he's going to need to use. So, uh, from a political standpoint, I think it was the smartest move on Londo's part to just not do anything. Okay, maybe that makes me cold and unfeeling, but that's strategically, <laughs> I think he was right.
0: Yeah, I I I think if Londo had been thinking that far ahead, he he might have indeed made the same choice, you know, not to get in Cartage's way, not to try and prevent. Um I just sort of get the feeling that um that quite honestly, you know, londo has got so much on his plate right now, even if he'd been right there um when when Cartaja said it, I, I don't know that Londo would have stepped forward, even if he had recognized that this was one of his possibilities, because at the time, it's more important to keep with the plan and stop Kartaja yep. So you're here. OK. Uh, can we think of anything else? I would um, like that's going on. I would Go like ahead.
1: to um, address Stephen's comment pre-Jumpgate about, <laughs> about, poor, about poor Susan Ivanova.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: on a telescreen oh yeah uh, yeah uh, so yeah she's going to turn into the voice of the resistance and then she's finally going to have some uh, really interesting stuff to do uh, uh, with the last battle against Clark's forces and such and such but I think this is the moment where Claudia Christian started thinking that you know I could be doing some other stuff right now mm-hmm. And I think that I think that this is the moment because in in truth the story doesn't have a whole lot of organic stuff for her to do. We've got a great scene a few episodes from now where she meets Zathras' brother Zathras, <laughs> uh, and that's yep. one, that's shot in one take and it's an acting tour de force if you're into goofy stuff like I am. But um, but uh, yeah, uh, if. If if Claudia Christian had hung around, she would have inherited a lot of the Lita arc uh, in season five. She would have seen Byron as a which which as a figure who resembled Marcus, and would have been drawn to him before realizing that it was a uh, really bad deal and things. things and things like that Mm -hmm. she would have had she would have had more to do but she declined to continue into the fifth season and i think this i think what we see in this episode just sort of sort of sets it up that you know for much of this season you're going to be a news reader yep and that's Mm -hmm. not a whole lot of fun and uh reportedly jms told her what was coming what she would have the uh, opportunity to do she decided not to go for it and that's just one of the one of the fault lines uh that made the opening of season five so shaky yeah Mm -hmm.
0: yeah um and conversely, um, you know, Steven worrying that, you know, without any Vorlons left, that Lita's <laughs> going to be sort of shunted to the side?
2: No, <laughs> not, not so much.
0: Jim,
1: well, actually, so yes much. and no. I, I, right. I apologize. <laughs> I just well actually do you all. Um, but in my defense, I think I'm right <laughs> because uh, the series is actually going to sort of lean into that a little bit. <laughs> uh, she's not going to have any support from Kosh. Over from the mm-hmm. Vorlons, she's not part of Psychor anymore. Yeah, uh, she's going to get herself in trouble with Sheridan, and Sheridan is and, and so and Sheridan is actually going to and the show explicitly does this. He's got a blind spot with telepaths, and he does not treat her appropriately. Mm-hmm. This drives her to Psychor which and then this drives her to Byron's side. And this turns her into a badass telepath warrior, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So,
0: yeah. Well, it's the same. It's sort of like you know, in a microcosm of the bigger picture of you know what happens when the fight is over. What happens to the people who were the warriors and the leaders of that fight? Um, you know, sort of Lita. In a nutshell, she she flounders. She she's groping. What the heck does she do now? She, she's
1: the abandoned because- veteran.
0: Yes, <laughs> exactly. And, and it takes a while for her to figure out, you know, what to do next and to find her new calling and to, as you said, you know, take it in both hands and um, and redefine herself. Uh, I guess the only other thing that struck me a bit was um, how at the moment, I mean, this is sort of, you know, JMS and the way he can move characters and shift things on you. Right now, Sheridan is not buying the idea that he is some kind of great messiah or great leader or anything like that right now he is brushing it aside any time people are trying are treating him with reverence because he's too busy trying to make sure that as many people as possible survive this thing um and we're going to. See, it's gonna be interesting to see you know how he does sort of start to eventually buy into you know the idea of being a leader of being president of the interstellar alliance and the mistakes he's going to make as a result, mm-hmm. as you said, he never wakes up to the blind spot about telepaths um you know he thinks he's the only one who can go and rescue his dad and therefore you know gets captured um during the um fight to uh free earth so you know, it's interesting to see that at the moment he is not what Garibaldi and his psychor-fueled paranoia is envisioning. That happens later. Very true. That that happens. So, okay. Uh, all right. So, uh, anything else? No, I am. I am good. Okay. Well, then we thank those of you who stuck around for the latter part of the podcast. Um, again, the next episode we are going to watch is The Long Night. And again, uh, please come and visit us at uh, b5audioguide.com, Twitter, Tumblr, same handle. Uh, and we look forward to continuing uh, plowing through Season 4 at this incredible clip. Mm-hmm. Uh, until the next time, this is Shannon and Durham.
1: Chip and Durham.
0: And Erica in Edmonton. And you've been listening to the audio guide to Babylon 5.